the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday show. Let me change that. Welcome to the show that's on Paula's birthday. It's Paula's birthday today. I'm praising the Lord because now she is aware that she's only one year younger than me. But happy birthday, sweetheart. I love you. And uh, you'll be here tomorrow live in the studio. So um, you can share your heart with other people. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart. All you have to do is dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in the car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Tonight here at our church, we're going to be teaching, I'm going to be teaching uh, Leviticus chapters 2 and 3 tonight. Um, That's at 7 o'clock. You can watch it live stream at calvarysa.com or you can join us. We've always got room on our Wednesday night Old Testament Bible studies. So Leviticus chapters 2 and 3 tonight. Okay, let me get to some questions while we await your phone calls. Remember, you're way more interesting than I am, so uh, we would love your calls. Here is our first question. This one comes from Darren, and he says, "Uh, Why do church splits happen? My church seems to be falling apart. Darren, there's one word, one reason that churches split. It's flesh. Shouldn't be, but it's flesh. And that's just the way uh, it's always been and always going to be. You know, we Christians, we get in the flesh and we do terrible things and and uh, we misrepresent and actually embarrass the Lord. So there's a lot of church splits that happen. Let me tell you a very quick story. And this is recent uh, from um, the documentary that I was watching about Charles Stanley, who just recently went to be with the Lord. Uh, after he died, they showed kind of how his church uh, evolved and how his uh, uh, media ministry evolved. And uh, when he was an assistant pastor at First Baptist in Atlanta, and uh, when it came time to name the pastor, the, the pastor that was departing uh, named Charles to be the pastor. And the leaders of the church, the, the deacon board or whatever it is in the Baptist church, um, the, the, the movers and shakers didn't want him to be the pastor. 
They simply, for one reason, didn't want him to be the pastor. And so having been named the pastor, they were trying to force him to resign. And at one of the meetings, um, they, they made their case why he couldn't be the pastor. While well, I'm here and my money's supporting this church, you'll never be the pastor. He said, well, why don't we see what the Lord wants to do? And the leader of the descending group said, leave him out of this. This is business. And I think that's a big part of the problem. So church splits happen for fleshy reasons. Um Sometimes churches move in a different direction uh, doctrinally. Um, uh, Sometimes it's over uh, fundraising issues or building issues, uh, building projects. But but Darren, the one reason that, that churches split is flesh. It's just flesh. It's the reason that husbands and wives who say they belong to Christ divorce. It's flesh. It's the reason that that uh, husbands and wives argue. It's flesh. Uh, we don't get what we want the way we want it, and uh, so we get upset. And so that's why church splits happen. There's never a godly reason. And uh, I think the man at Proverbs talks about the man that causes division. Um, that would be a, a, an impossible thing to explain to the Lord. So church splits happen. I'll tell you one more quick story. We don't have anybody waiting on the on the program. When we started our free school, Darren, uh, it was we're getting ready to start our 25th year. Uh, just We're two weeks away, in fact. Um, We'd been going for about two years, and financially it was such a burden. I mean, we didn't have any money. Our church was pretty small at the time, and uh, this was just a step of faith. We were being tested, and there was a group of of, uh, people, one family in particular, but they were going uh, from house to house, people in the church, trying to convince them that the school wasn't of God. It was Pastor Ron's ego and, and all kinds of other things. It had nothing to do with my ego. If it was my ego, I would have taken all the money that we're spending on a free school, which is a fortune. I would have taken that. I'd have built this big building, a monument to my ego. I would have had this beautiful office. I would have been traveling all over the world. I could have done anything and everything that I wanted. But this is what God said to do. And they went around trying to get people to stop giving so that I would have to make the decision uh, to close the free school. Now, obviously, Darren... Uh, the school uh, going into our 25th year has been so fruitful. Um, but everybody has their own agenda. And as Christians, we should have just one agenda, and that should be the Lord's agenda. Whatever he wants, that's what it happens. So that's why church splits happen. It's never good. There's never a right side. Uh, you either go to a church that you can support, or you go to another church, you find another church. But um, that's the answer. Thanks, Darren. Appreciate the question. Here's a question from Vanessa. Pastor Ron, why was the New Testament written in Greek if the people spoke Hebrew or Aramaic? Um, Vanessa, God was behind, obviously, God was behind uh, common Koine Greek being uh, the language that the Bible was written. Now, let me just say this about common Koine Greek. I am not a Greek scholar by any stretch of the imagination and Thankfully, we have wonderful, wonderful translation tools uh, where we don't need to be a Greek or Hebrew scholar in order to rightly divide the word of God. Uh, But uh, common Koine Greek is the most expressive language, uh, human language ever. Uh, It's a language with tenses in it. It's a language with with finality or completion in it. Uh, And God chose common Koine Greek uh, and Koine in common, it's basically the same word, um, because he wanted the New Testament to be written in, in that kind of an expressive language. I'll just give you one example, and there's so many. You know, We all know the, the verse uh, from Romans, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Um, literally, in the Greek tense, it's for all continue to continue to sin continually and are continually following short of the glory of God. And, and so that's why... Uh, um, it was written in Greek. That's just one example. Another example is the word love. You know, in, in English, we have one word for love. And I think most languages have one word for love. Um, in Greek, they've got five different words that can be translated as love. And they all have a very specific 
and, and different meaning. So uh, it was chosen. One of the things, I don't know if you're into history, Vanessa, but one of the great character studies in world history is Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great uh, was a man, a young man, a brilliant young man, and he was raised up by God um, because God needed this language in order to communicate his word in. And Alexander the Great had such an ego that he was going to conquer the whole world, so he sat down on his own. He sat down on his own and invented what we now know as common Koine Greek. And uh, God brought him to a position of power. He died, I think it was at the age of 32 or 33 years of age. Um, He'd fallen drunk on a rainy, cold night and died of pneumonia. Uh, But um, just just a wonderful, wonderful character study. And because he's a figure in our Bibles, um, uh, it's, it's something I think that's worth the study. But that's why it was written in Greek. It was the language of the world uh, in the Roman Empire uh, when Jesus was born and then lived in this world for those 33 or so years. So that's the answer, Vanessa. Fascinating study. Appreciate it. Here's a question from Rosemary. Uh, She says, My lifelong church denomination has affirmed homosexuality and will soon, I believe, affirm trans lifestyles as well. How should we respond as many of us in the church still believe those things are sin? Rosemary, this is a a very fluid uh, circumstance that we see happening now all the time. We see church denominations, uh, um, uh, Lutherans, Methodists, um, um, other denominations who are struggling with this, and we see them, uh, they can't agree between themselves, the leaders in those churches. And so we are seeing these churches split uh, and going one direction or the other. Um, So uh, your lifelong church, Presbyterians are another one. My lifelong church denomination, if they are turning away from the Bible, Rosemary, I don't care how long you've been in that denomination, I don't care how invested you are or how many friends you have in that denomination. It's time for you to choose Jesus and find a church that will stand with him and stand for truth. And for you or your other friends uh, in the church um, to stay there just because it's your church and so we've always done it, uh, in spite of the fact that they've turned away from the truth of the Word of God, I think uh, is, is uh, um, I, I want to use this word very carefully, but, but I think it's, it's almost sinful in intent. It's as though you're choosing the relationships that you've developed or the routine that you've developed over the the years uh, and you're choosing them instead of choosing Jesus. And Jesus said uh, he came to divide families and certainly a church is a family. So this is one of those things where you've got to sit down and make a decision. Am I with Jesus or am I with this denomination? And there are so many people, Rosemary, so many people going through exactly what you've described here. Uh, I guess it was probably eight or nine years ago now where um, we had this uh, older couple. When I say older, I mean people older than me. Um, This older couple come in, and uh, we hadn't seen them before. He was a very tall, striking man, and and, uh, so it was easy to see when we, we hadn't known him before. And after he heard me teach, he came a couple of weeks, had me, heard me teach. He asked for a meeting, and he and his wife came. They sat in this office, and they, they uh, just asked me, what's my position on this and what's my position on that? And, and, and we sat and told him, and he said, can I count on you not to change your mind? And so I looked at him, and I said, so w- what's happened? Why are you asking this question like this? And he said, because the church I built. And then he stopped me, and he said, no, when I say I built it, I mean... These hands, and he held his hands up, these hands laid the bricks in that building that we've been meeting for these last 50 years. I did that with my own hands. This is a church that I built physically and participated in for years and years and years, and they have affirmed homosexuality. And this was before the trans uh, lifestyle was even a thing, really. And um, he said... 
And and one of those poignant moments, Rosemary, is is he looked at me, pointed a finger at me, not in a threatening way at all, but just tears rolling down his cheeks. He said, I can't take another heartbreak like that. You have to promise me you're not going to change. And I told him, I said, uh, I can't promise you, but I can promise you this. I never will change. If I do change, you have to promise me that you'll leave. And that convinced him, and and, uh, they stayed here until he went to be with the Lord. So these are just really, really painful things, but you've got to choose Jesus. It's that simple. There's no attachment to a church, no attachment to people that is nearly as important as your attachment to Jesus himself. So this is just one of those things, Rosemary, that you've got to bite the bullet. You've got to deal with the pain. And in taking a stand for what is true, what is right, standing for the word of God, you will be a witness to the others in your uh, denomination who are dealing with the same kind of pain. When you said many of us still believe those things are sin, uh, if you won't stand for what you believe to be true based on the word of God, if you won't stand for that, um, then you basically become useless in your service for the Lord. So, Rosemary, hear your heart. I am really sorry that you're dealing with this, but this is something that is going on all over the world and in particular all over um, our our country. It's it's just a horrible thing. Episcopalians, uh, Anglicans, um, they're all fighting over this very thing. Rosemary, I'm sorry for you. Pray, pray, pray for your church. Plead with the Lord for his spirit to move upon them. Let's go to Reuben on line one from Seguin. Reuben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, God bless you, Pastor Ron. How are you doing, Pastor? I'm doing well, Reuben. Thank you. That's good. Pastor Ron, I just wanted to just to call and tell you thank you for just, you know, being honest with me and not sugarcoating anything. And uh, I need I needed that, um, you know, uh, uh, growing up in a legalistic uh, church, you know, it just, I'm not going to blame, you know, put the blame on that, but I want to thank you because you've, you've really helped me more than you realize, more than you'll probably ever know. And I wanted to thank you for that. Uh, you, you've been a blessing to me. And um, I, I just wanted to thank you for that. God bless you. You, you are loved, my friend. And we are praying for you constantly. Thank you, sir. Uh-huh. I do. I will, that means a lot to me. Thank you very, very much. Okay. Have a great day. Thank you. God bless. Okay. Here's a question from John from our email inbox. Uh, Pastor Ron, I listened to your studies in Haggai. That was a wonderful series of study. What was your favorite takeaway from that book? John, honestly, there were so many takeaways from that book f- for me. Uh, I, I felt specifically that uh, the, the Lord, it was like Haggai, Haggai, and I, you know, for years I pronounced it Haggai. That's not true. It's Haggai. And uh, I felt like he was here with us uh, those three days. It was him giving the message, and, and it was just as fresh uh, for Calvary Chapel of San Antonio at the time we're in um, as it was at the time he delivered it some, I don't know, 2,500 years ago. So um, um, I think two takeaways, I think, that that were the most significant to me. One is, and this is how the book starts, um, he's telling the Israelites, he's telling his fellow Jews to be honest in their evaluation of the world that they live in and the current condition of their lives. He's saying, you know, you're doing all these things. You're not being obedient to the Lord. Uh, the, the obedience was they were to build the house of God, and they stopped building the house of God and built their own homes. And uh, Haggai says, um, well, well you, you work, you make money, but your pockets have holes in them. You buy food, but there's never enough. And then God says, I did these things. And I think one of the things that, that we all have to deal with is that, that when we're not being obedient to the Lord, he is going to frustrate our plans. He's going to frustrate um, anything that is going to keep us out of the middle of his perfect will. 
You know, a lot of us, we want to serve God on our terms. And a guy's message was that's never going to happen. And you're always going to find yourself lacking. You're always going to find yourself wanting more. You're always going to find yourself frustrated. Uh, I know people don't like it when I say this, but God willfully and intentionally and for your own good makes it impossible for us to be full, to be to be peaceful um, when we're not being obedient. So that was, I think, one of the takeaways. It, it's a, a description of the world that we live in. Uh, you know, John, I'm, I'm looking around at the world that we live in right now. And um, it, it's just an amazing thing to think about. Things are falling apart. I read an article today. Um, I, I know I'm going to talk more about this in our Bible studies. I'm just not sure when I'm going to do it yet. But I, I read a, a story today that said um, leprosy. Um, long gone in the United States for uh, for a very, 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 very long time is making a comeback in the United States. Now, leprosy is a type of sin in the Bible. We all know that. Um, but leprosy is making a comeback. Do you think God is trying to get our attention? We're wondering, why are these bad things happening? Why am I not happy? The more we pursue happiness, the, the more frustrated we become. And, and, and Haggai, that was one of those um, major, major takeaways. I think the other takeaway is, is consistent with that is that when we are obedient, when we walk by faith, when we're obedient to do what the Lord wants us to do, then life just completely turns around. And it, it has nothing to do with our goals. It's nothing to do with our goals uh, regarding I want to make this money, I want to save for, for, for my retirement, or I want my kids to go to college. None of that. It's just we give God a chance to do all of the things that we were trained to do, and he does it. That's why Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of those other things will be added unto you. So, John, those were my, my major takeaways. You know, serving the Lord, being obedient is not difficult. And when we are obedient, we're blessed. That doesn't mean we don't have problems. It doesn't mean that life isn't difficult. It doesn't mean that we uh, have all the money we want or all the health that we want. What it means is that in the presence of God, we experience that his grace is really enough for us. And it's fulfilling and our lives become abundant and rich just the way Jesus promised. And um, our 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 world just doesn't understand that. Uh, the sad thing is, while I don't expect the world to understand it, Christians ought to understand it. And as Christians, we simply don't listen. Jesus said, if you find your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose it for me, you'll find it. And we don't believe that. And uh, Haggai's message to um, Israel at, at that pivotal time in their history uh, was a challenge by faith, trust God, trust in his promises. And God was very direct with them. One of the neat things about Haggai, John, was that um, Haggai is one of the three post-exilic prophets. Um, and um, um, Zechariah and Malachi, the other two. Um, his mission, sort of like the mission that we have today in this world, his mission was to prepare Israel for the arrival of their Messiah. And, of course, that's Jesus in his first um, a visit to the world as a baby and then growing up. Um, you know, there's there's 400 years where God wasn't speaking. After they came back from Babylon uh, and tried to reestablish, God wasn't speaking to him. And then now um, Jesus shows up and, and one of... Uh, Haggai and and the other two uh, post-exilic prophets, their job was to prepare them for the for the return of the Word of God, the living Word of God. So that's that's the takeaways, John. I absolutely loved those studies, and uh, I'm going to take a little bit of a break from them, only because I want to uh, really spend some time, really thinking about it. Good question. How am I doing on time? Okay, a little over two minutes. Um, this is from Will from our email inbox. Uh, how do you talk to someone who only believes in the words of Jesus and not the other books? I've tried to talk to them, but I do not know how to convince them. Will, you cannot convince them. 
Uh, these are called red-letter Christians, and they say, well, I don't need to listen to Paul. They have no understanding of how the Bible is written uh, or how it was put together. Um, what they're doing is they say, well, I only believe the words of Jesus. Well, then you need to take them to Revelation chapter 19 because in red words is is uh, the judgment that is coming on the world for all those who reject him. So, um, you know, that's the kind of person that says, well, you know, I believe in love and I believe in grace and I believe in forgiveness, but all those other things, you know, sexual immorality, you know, it's just a, an excuse to continue to sin and feel good about it. Like I'm still going to heaven, even though I continue to sin and will, unfortunately, there's nothing you can do to convince them. It's your job to warn them. You need to tell them you better be right. And I can tell you up front that you have no authority whatsoever to come to that conclusion. I can also tell you that you haven't really been honest in your pursuit of the God of the Bible. So you can continue to live like this and end up in hell, or you can come to the real Jesus in your life can be richer than you ever believed possible. That's all you can do, Will. They've got to make the choice for themselves. I wish it were different, but it's just not different at all. Red Letter Christians, uh, I even know Red Letter Pastors. All they want is a big crowd in their church. They want to sin and don't want anybody to tell them that what they're doing is wrong. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Wednesday edition of the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the program 340-9585 for your live calls and questions uh here is a question from anonymous from our mobile app um, he or she says, in talking to another Christian friend, discussing remarks that Christians make, and we wondered, are sarcasm and cynicism sins? Can we be sarcastic? And I love the honesty here. He says, I know I'm really good at it. And then he wrote, put uh, laugh out loud on the thing. I still have Timothy laugh, LOL. I, I think of lots of love, but no, it's laugh out loud. Um, uh, I don't think... Real Christians can be cynics. Um, but yeah, sarcasm. Our Bible has sarcasm. There are examples of sarcasm. Paul talks about uh, in writing to the Galatians, I wish they'd go all the way and emasculate themselves when, when they're talking about um, circumcision being a requirement to be a Christian. So uh, sarcasm can be used. Now, one of the things, and and I join you, Anonymous, I'm really good at sarcasm as well. It's just the way my mind works. I think sarcasm can be funny. It can be disarming. And I think it can be used quite well uh, for the glory of God. But we've got to be sure that that sarcasm is not the only thing that they see or hear. You've got to have a pretty good track record. You've got to build some equity in a relationship before you can be sarcastic with somebody Otherwise, they're going to sort of tune you out, and you don't want to do that. But but sarcasm is a legitimate form of conversation. Um, uh, I, I can tell you that the people I'm sarcastic around are people who know me really, really, really well. And we have very similar uh, senses of humor. I'm not even sarcastic anonymous around Paula. And nobody knows me better than she is. Uh, sweet girl, she does not have a sarcastic or a cynical bone in her body. And and I don't want to 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 sort of rain on that parade. I think her naivety uh, and her innocence is a wonderful thing. Always wanting the best, thinking the best of people is a wonderful, wonderful gift that God has given her. But I think there are times when sarcasm is useful. In my own case, the sarcasm uh, in my teaching that sometimes comes out is usually directed at me. Um, never at other people, but it's directed at me, um, and and I think that's pretty safe ground. Uh, sometimes I'm misunderstood, 
but uh, nonetheless, I think I think sarcasm is okay. Again, cynicism never should be okay. We we Christians should be the most hopeful people in the world, and rather than be a cynic about somebody, we should turn that into constructive prayer for those kind of people. I, I had somebody just say, "Well, you know, I'm so cynical about our government." Well, who isn't? But but the way to deal with that is to pray for the people who are in positions of leadership in our country, and God will change your hearts. And then we start focusing on the person, the need uh, for uh, for uh, to, the need to be understood in the right vein. Remember, we're representing Jesus. We're ambassadors of the Lord, and so we've got to remember that first and always. Thank you, Christopher. I appreciate the question very, very much. Here is a question. This one is from Anonymous from our email inbox. Do you think Hagar was saved? I've heard that she was not, but I think she is. I think the passage is clear, but I've heard other opinions. What do you think? I think you are exactly right. Not only was Hagar saved, and you can go to our website, calvaryessay.com, and listen to my teaching in uh, Genesis chapter 16, and I actually call it her born-again experience, our sweet summer devotions. Uh, the, the, the God who sees me comes from Hagar's experience with the Lord. And, um, you know, the, the, she was running away. Uh, she's an Egyptian. She wasn't a Jew. Um, certainly she would have been exposed to, uh, to, to the God who's really God um, in, in Abraham and, and Sarah's village. But um, she wasn't a believer, and she was running away, and Jesus met her. I have seen the God who sees me, she said. And that was her born-again experience, and we know that it was a born-again experience. She was running away, and when, when she met Jesus there, he sent her back. Now, who would want to go back into the situation she came from? But she met Jesus and was obedient to him. And then later, of course, we know that she and Ishmael were sent away uh, because the, the uh, use Paul's words, the, the son of the free woman and the son of the slave woman couldn't live together. And um, um, actually what God was doing, people say, well, that's cruel. Why did she get told to leave? It's not her fault. Uh, God was just answering the desire of her heart. She wanted to go away. She didn't want to be in that situation any longer. And, and, and the Lord, at, in Genesis 16, made these wonderful promises uh, to her and to her son that her son would be blessed. He would be a mighty warrior. And all of those things came true. Um, the reality, unfortunately, is that uh, um, Ishmael uh, was not saved. But but in this world, uh, he lived the life of a, of a very blessed man. I mean, in this world, uh, he was strong. He was a, a leader. He was renowned. Um, but Hagar, for sure, got saved in Genesis chapter 16. Thank you for that one. Here is a question. This one is from Anonymous from our email inbox. And Anonymous, you're not going to like my answer. I'll just tell you up front. Uh, he or she asked, do you have a favorite Bible teacher? I like listening to T.D. Jakes, but I'm looking for other people to listen to as well. Let me see. Uh, and this is why you're not going to like my answer. T.D. Jakes is one of the worst Bible teachers. He's a false teacher. And he is somebody that, that ought to have skull and crossbones on his website just to warn real Christians away from that. T.D. Jakes is awful now. He's a performer. He puts on a great show, but he is, it's the silliest thing to watch. Um, I just uh, last week, and flipping around the channels, he was on, on TBN, and I stopped and I listened. I was going to listen to see what he had to say. I couldn't listen for about eight minutes, and I just had to turn. I mean, nothing that he says makes any sense at all. Uh, there's nothing that he teaches that is doctrinally correct. There's nothing that we can gain um, practically or spiritually um, relative to um, anything that he has to say. Just it, There's just no value whatsoever. Now, there's a lot of wonderful Bible teachers. 
Um, if you want to listen to somebody uh, who is T.D. Jakes under control with good doctrine, uh, you can listen to Paul Shepard. He's on our, our radio stations here in San Antonio. Um, he is a wonderfully gifted communicator. Uh, he is uh, very direct with the truth. Now, I'm sure there are things that I would disagree with him on, but they would all be minor things. And he's somebody that you could learn uh, from, and uh, you wouldn't have to worry too much about being doctrinally misled. Uh, Charles Stanley, um, uh, who's now with Jesus, he's on our local radio stations, both of them, and he's really, really, really solid. And um, um, with a track record of more than 50 years of faithful ministry, uh, he's somebody that you can absolutely count on. Um, um, in, in in our local area, I, I like listening to, to Rander Draper. Rander is a friend and um, uh, completely different than I am, completely different in style. And he and I, we have some things that we would disagree on. But um, he's a man that is deadly serious about pursuing the holiness of God. He, too, is on both of our local radio stations. Um Trying to think off the top of my head, you know, I, I have a ton of them. David Jeremiah is is a, a teacher that is um, worth listening to. Um, one of my all time favorites, he too is with Jesus, is um, Adrian Rogers, and he's on our local stations as well. Uh, so there's a lot of people that you can listen to, lots and lots of people that you can listen to. But please, please, turn T D Jakes off. He is a prosperity teacher. He's doctrinally um, uh, heretical. Um, there's, there's just so much about him that isn't good. Um, I hope I hope that answers your question. By the way, all my stuff, and I'm not in the same league as some of those guys, but all my stuff is on our website for free, and you can listen uh, anytime that you want to, anytime at all. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I had another question, but I ab- accidentally deleted it, so I'm about to have to dig that up and get it back next um, uh, on tomorrow's program or Friday's program with Paula being here tomorrow. Miguel says. Miguel says Ezekiel speaks of a future temple where sacrifices will be made. Why will? there be sacrifices when Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Ezekiel speaks of the millennial temple. There will be a temple um, where Jesus will, will, will rule and reign from uh, in the millennium. Um, the, the, the throne of David that Jesus will sit on forever and ever and ever. And so, yes, there is a future temple. And yes, in the millennium, sacrifices will be made. But those sacrifices, Miguel, are memorial in view. It's sort of like the way we take communion. Um, you know, when we partake of communion, we, we eat the cracker. Uh, it's not eating the body of the Lord. It's remembering the body of the Lord. It's remembering that he, uh, and we worship in doing so. We remember that, that he took the punishment we deserved. His body was broken, so ours wouldn't have to be. And we drink the cup representative of his blood. It doesn't become his blood. Uh, and we're to remember um, that that uh, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, and it's his death that saved us. So we take communion memorially when Jesus is ruling from the temple. It will be a Jewish temple, but when he's ruling from that temple, um, his people, the Jews, will partake of those sacrifices in memoriam. And that's all. It's just, uh, you know, we would wonder, well, well, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. That doesn't seem necessary. But it's going to give Jews a chance to worship the way God always intended them to worship. And it will help them remember the goodness of God. It will also introduce Jews to a completely new covenant that they missed when they rejected Jesus Christ. So, Miguel... It is true that there will be a future temple and sacrifices will be made. And I don't think we will really understand them until we are there. And then all of our questions will be answered. I hope that makes sense to you. Here's a question from Bob. 
Why do we say Jesus is coming back soon when the church will be going to him? It seems like some people believe he's coming two more times. Well, Jesus is coming back soon, Bob. The rapture of the church is going to happen. And you're right, we will be going to him, but he will be coming down to us as well. Now, he's not going to get to earth. He's going to call us and meet us in the air. But but uh, you're being a little too nitpicky, I think, with the term he's coming back. He's going to come back first for his church, but we're going to be called away from here, and we're going to meet him in the air. So he's going to leave the throne of God, the, where, where he sits now at the right hand of the Father. And he's going to meet us in the air, and then he's going to take us to be with him where he is. That's what he said in John chapter 14 uh, when he told his disciples. uh, And this was at the point where they realized that uh, Jesus really was going to die. Their hearts were crushed, and they were without any hope at all. And Jesus, uh, and this is sort of funny looking back 2,000 years uh, with the advantage we have of 2,000 years of history. But Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. And their hearts were absolutely troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. That's the reason he's leaving, to prepare a place. And he said, if it weren't so, I would have told you. And then I'm coming back to take you to be with me where I am. So he is coming back. He's just not coming back all the way to the earth. Jesus will come to earth two times. Once we know was a baby in Bethlehem. The next time, you can read about it in Revelation chapter 19. Uh, that's when Jesus comes back to establish his kingdom, to destroy his enemies. It is a time when the Great Tribulation will be finally put to an end. I was talking to somebody about the movie Oppenheimer. And uh, I, I, I don't watch R-rated movies, so I can't go to see it. But that is a, a, a part of history that fascinates me. I would love to go see the movie. I don't watch R-rated movies or, or movies where God's name is taken in vain. Um, but, but the movie itself, the material, is fascinating. I've done a lot of research and study uh, in, in years past. Um, you know, they had a decision to make. Um, we're going to kill a lot of people. Uh, with this bomb, but it's going to save a lot of people's lives. Well, Jesus, when he comes back, is going to be the spiritual atomic bomb. Uh, He's going to destroy his enemies and gather the rest of the world to him. And as he establishes his kingdom for a thousand years on this earth, um, he's going to restore order and holiness and righteousness to the world that we live in. So, Bob, he is coming back. He's just not coming all the way back to earth. He's only coming twice to earth. And one time he's already done it. The next time he's coming back. And that's described in Revelation chapter 19. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Um, Avery. Oh, this is an interesting question, Avery. It says, Pastor Ron, what do you like the most about being a pastor? And is there anything else you can imagine yourself doing? Avery, uh, th- your question makes me giggle a little bit because um, when I when I first heard I was called to be a pastor, my first response was, no way. I don't even know what a pastor does. Um, but but, but I, I, I was certain. I mean, I was only six months old in the Lord, so I was very immature. But I knew that God had called me to be a pastor. Um, what do I like the most about being a pastor? Uh, you know, there's even the things I don't like, I like. I think that's what I like the most about being a pastor. Even the things I don't like, uh, I like because I know they matter. I know they're important. You know, Paul and I, when we walk and pray in the mornings, one of the things that we are mindful is to thank the Lord that our lives have meaning and purpose. Uh, you know, when we were out there in the world just sort of flailing around trying to find the meaning of life, Jesus grabbed our hearts and gave us that direction and gave us that, that purpose and meaning. And and I have to always remember that when the heartbreaking things happen. And so let me try to explain what I meant. My heart gets broken all the time. Um, I, I don't think I'm overstating it to say that literally every day I deal with heartbreaking things. And yet I have the answer for those people whose hearts are in trouble. And if they'll listen and if they'll follow the Lord, then then I have the, the, the authority and the confidence of knowing that 
God has given me the, the direction to help them in their time of need. So my heart is broken all the time. People would say, well, certainly that can't be something you like about it. But I like the fact that if they'll listen, there's an answer. Um, but but at the same time, my heart is broken. And I know this doesn't sound like it makes any sense at all. But but all the time when my heart is broken, my heart is also overflowing with joy. You know, for uh, every person that breaks my heart, there's there's 50 people that are thrilling me because their walk with the Lord is so vibrant because they've allowed Jesus to storm the citadel of their heart and, and transform their lives. And and the privilege that is, I just can't describe. I don't know, um, Avery, um, we have our Sweet Summer Devotion series, and I don't know if you've ever heard Paula talk about it or listened to it, but they're, they're on our website. The, the, the woman who spoke this past Monday, uh, Trish Dominguez, um, her sweet summer devotion was one of those times I was sitting here almost in tears watching it because I know how painful her life was. I know how off course it was. I know how she's been hurt in her life. And then I'm able to watch her as she stands before the other women in her church and talks about the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And you see that kind of a transformation, and it literally is overwhelming joy for me. So that's what I like the most about it. I like the fact that the people that let God do something in their lives, uh, their lives completely transform. And the, the miserable, pain-filled people they were, um, you, you don't even recognize them um, in, with their hearts filled with joy from the person that they were. And I love that about what I do. I also love, love raising up other men to be pastors. Um, we had a question, I think, late last week, why do we have so many pastors um, I love raising men up to be pastors. I love the fact that that these men's lives have changed, and and I, I love watching them grow. And uh, you know, it's it's broken my heart many times because a lot of times those people leave and they start their own church somewhere, and I don't want them to go. But but every one of them will tell you that the one thing I want more than anything else for them is that they would follow whatever it is the Lord wants them to do. And I've just watched so many people go out and and uh, be a part of something really, really neat that God is doing. And it's thrilling for me. It's absolutely thrilling for me. And then let me add one other thing, Avery. Um, I like the fact that Paula is my partner in this ministry. She's not a pastor. But I love the fact that Paula and I get to do everything together. I absolutely cherish the fact that I have a person in my life that God has has given me who only and always wants the best for me, and we get to enjoy all of this together. Sunday after our service, um, I get to uh, go to a, a, a baptism event that we're having, and, and we'll get to see, hear some testimonies and baptize people uh, whose lives are changed. On Saturday, uh, late in the afternoon, uh, we have a Sweet 16 uh, party for a, a girl that was born in our church, uh, and, and I'm very, very close to her. And um, I get to I get to watch this beautiful young woman she's turned into. And, and see, I get to share all of those things with people. So those are the, the, the things that, that we get to do here. And Avery, I can't imagine, I cannot imagine anything else that I could do after this. I think I need to retire straight from the pulpit to in, being in the presence of Jesus uh, because there's just nothing else that would be, this what I'm called to do, I was born to do it. There's nothing else that would be that satisfying. Last question for the day. This one is from Barbara. She says, My daughter was raised to love Jesus, but left and began a lifestyle of sin. She since returned many years later and is a believer again. Praise the Lord for that. And then, and that's me, my answer, by the way, my commentary. And then she says, Did she lose her salvation only to find it again? Barbara, please hear me on this. Okay, who cares? We don't have to know if she was ever really saved. And she walked away from the Lord for a time. 
Uh, we all have the free will to do that, to make that choice. But see, who cares? She's back with Jesus now. And that's the only thing of value. It's the only thing that matters. And, you know, we can try to answer a bunch of hypothetical questions or try to find answers uh, to questions that there are no answers to. Uh, but the but the reality is uh, your daughter train up a child in the way he or she should go. And in the end, they will not depart. You've watched the faithfulness of God uh, who took your daughter's statement of faith as a young uh, woman, young girl, very seriously. And and he constructed circumstances in her life to get her back to the place that she needs to be. So this is all about God. It's not about what ifs or was she ever really saved. This is a demonstration that when we are faithless, God is faithful. And if we remember that, Barbara, um, then then all we will have is a heart that's flowing with gratitude to the Lord. And you see, these are the kind of questions the enemy will come and try to raise doubts and all those things. You did your job by raising her to love Jesus. She made a choice. That choice cost her a lot, broke your heart. But like the father of the prodigal, when she came back home, uh, you could once rejoice, uh, my daughter who is dead is now alive. And there's nothing more important than that. So um, just focus on that, Barbara. That would be the best. Hey, thank you for tuning in today. We've got a baptism coming up Sunday. If you're interested, you can visit calvaryessay.com. You're invited. If you've not been baptized and you are a born-again Christian, shame on you. You ought to be baptized. Be obedient to the Lord. This has been the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Paul will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the Date Day Edition and program. We'll see you then. AM 640 Word. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.